Hello everyone, welcome to CSM Secrets and in this episode we have Jarvis Harris, VP and Global Head of Customer Success at YG Rink. Jarvis has a very practical and yet insightful tips on customer success versus customer service for IT services in which he holds a very strong background. Let's listen in. Hey Jarvis, welcome to CSM Secrets. Very happy to have you as our guest today. Hi, I'm glad to I'm happy to be here as well. Super excited about having time to chat with you today. Okay, let's go. So you've been in the business of customer success for a very long time, and that too has you know serious customer success roles. Because what I've seen is that there are people that come from marketing, business development, etc., and then transform into customer success. But your resume on LinkedIn is so authentically customer success. So tell us how did it all started and what are the high points of your career? Yeah, so I think uh, it's funny. I started my career out in technology. I was in IT, but uh, as I worked through IT, I was always known as the IT communicator. So I was the person that worked with the business or worked with the customers to figure out what they wanted and what success looked like. At the time, I didn't realize I was doing customer success, but I was always in a place to say, hey, figure out what they need, figure out what the requirement is, and figure out what the end game is. And all those things were fundamentals to what we consider customer success today. Uh, after I did that for a while, uh, I worked my way through the IT world because I was always the person in front of the, the customer. Uh, and I got to the role of being a CIO. And after a little while being a CIO, I, I realized that I was somewhat tired of the monotony that came with the role. And the CSM, the customer success pivot came because I had an opportunity to work with multiple customers with multiple technology, but still do advising, still do recommendations and drive that. And throughout the time, I had the experience of working with small companies, large companies, consulting organizations, you name it, NCS. And so many people, as you said earlier, start CS. Uh, and you came from sales or from other places, but I was really at the ground floor when CS was being birthed as a practice back almost 10 years ago. Uh, I had grassroots opportunity to be a part of CS and I've worked through it and I've saw it grow and change. And, you know, it's been really good for me, but I really love the experience and being able to drive the conversation, but also understanding how to sit in the seat of a person that's trying to implement a solution or needs to uh, build out a certain result because it's, you know, their life depends on, their job depends on, their livelihood depends on, because I've been that person in other seats. So I have a unique view of that. And also I have the view of what it really means to say, hey, let's take small bites of this thing to make it successful, not trying to solve the whole puzzle at one time, bit by bit, brick by brick to get to where we want to go. So that's been part of my journey, but also it's really been unique because I understand the technology, I understand the leadership, I understand the budget, I understand the problems that an organization can face with technology, but I also understand the needs that you need from a vendor, what you want to hear, you want to have empathy, you want to be able to hear someone that can sit in your seat and talk you through it and make sure you have success at every level on a continuous basis. Wow, that's really something, right? Like, you know, starting from a services background, the IT services, and then sticking to one point and, you know, continuing to understand the 360-degree perspective, amazing. So, and more specifically, if I should ask you, right, I've seen that your expertise is in carving out customer success strategy, corporate strategy, business development, etc. Strategy was hitting on me when I, I saw your LinkedIn experience, right? So tell us more about what strategies you have helped organizations help put together and scale their business? What is the secret sauce in your strategies? I, I think, you know, the secret sauce is making it consumable, making it practical. I think oftentimes when people say, 
say strategic or strategy. They think it has to be this big, big, long, thought out process that's like, oh man, this is just so deep. But actually, I think, you know, if you take a practical approach and make it where the strategy needs to be uh, wrapped around having a, a view of observation, so ob- observing and understanding the why, and then solving things, you know, at a very small detail, infinite level. And I think that's been part of my secret sauce is just to look at it and say, okay, how do we make this practical? How do we make it simple? How do we identify what people at every level? And, you know, I think one of the biggest things I've ever learned is strategy is not always about the big picture, but strategy is also about the, the small picture. It's about the personas. So mapping different personas for different organizations, for different customers, for different products, you know, the one size fit all isn't, isn't true. Also, the one flavor of customer success isn't true. I mean, every product, every business has different things. So you have to understand the persona of the customers, understand the persona that the product is solving for, and who do you want to attack that? You know, how do you drive business value and touch business objectives? So I think my secret sauce also is just wrapped around making sure that I understand the personas, understanding the depths of who I'm trying to touch and making it personalized for them. Uh, you know, it's 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 almost a tailor-made fit for success, and 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 that's where I think you get the most value. I I, I have a process where I'm like you identify who is the person, understand what their why is, and then solve for that, and make that solve where it's not a one-time thing, but it's continuous because you always want to understand where they're trying to go, what they're trying to do, and continue to make steps to drive forward more momentum, more visibility, more growth, more opportunity. If you can do that for your customers, I think they'll become happy. They'll become uh, raving fans and then they'll become truly customers for life, meaning they take your solution wherever they go. It's not about them being locked in just at Vizier or at BMC or at Aon or at Informatica, but they're locked into the fact that what you sold them, they take it wherever it is. So like, hey, whether I'm, I'm working at one company, wherever it is, I believe in the person, I believe in the product, I believe. So it's not about the job, it's about the solution. Awesome. All right. So tell us more about how you handle adoption and onboarding at a large enterprise such as BMC, where you, you've had a stint as a customer success leader, right? Does it differ? Yeah. Sorry, does it differ for a small scale a company versus a large scale organization? Or or the thought process, the the, so the framework is the same? No, it, it differs. Um the, the process differs. And, and, and the reason the process differs is there's a different amount of resources you have. There's a level of maturity in the organization as well. So when you're thinking about onboarding at a large organization, that onboarding usually comes with uh, a lot of segmentation. So you have specifics where as in a smaller organization, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You're looking at onboarding to be kicking off the customer, doing a little implementation, a little bit of enablement, uh, a little bit of everything in a small organization. A large organization, you'll have an enablement and training team. You'll have uh, an adoption team. You'll have a team that's focused on technical architecture. Where in a small company, you're kind of that person is going to drive multiple pieces because you're still trying to get your sea legs. You're trying to stand up and be able to be strong enough to have expertise in areas. But in a, you know, as you develop that, you don't have that right off. So you're kind of a jack of all trades. But I think in a large organization, you become a master of one. So you master something and you take it to the next level. And I think that's where in a large organization, if managed correctly, you have more efficiencies because you have people that are so proficient in one area, they can focus on it. They can build plans and strategies and thoughts that drive that more holistically. In a small organization, it's you're, you're, you're managing multiple things. So 
you have to be very detail-oriented, very structured and plan out what you're going to do and when. And I think playbooks are more beneficial in smaller organizations than larger organizations because in small organizations, you need that structure to make sure you follow a plan and not be overwhelmed and make sure your team can operate and execute at a high level without saying, hey, this is too much. In a larger organization, you kind of have your, your place where you sit. So while playbooks are still great, they're not as advantageous, they're not as big a benefit because you're kind of more singularly locked into a job. So that BMC, you're singularly locked into adoption and managing churn. Whereas at, you know, a visitor, you're locked into managing adoption and churn, you're managing uh, enablement, you're looking at different pieces. So it's just a higher level of responsibility because it's broader. Right. Yeah. Awesome. That that helps a lot and sets a perspective, right? And just coming to a little bit, uh, I mean, driving deep into your expertise, you've also handled BPO at one point, B, uh, sorry, BPO, business process yeah. outsourcing, right? Call centers at one point. Yeah. So how is this different from professional support and services? Because I know that the two are extremely different. What are the unique challenges in each and what are some common practices that can be adopted in both? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at it, one of the, some of the unique challenges from a BPO perspective is you are responsible, but you're not. So it, 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 it's funny, it's, 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 you're in a <laughs> hybrid role because you're partner success as well as customer success. So if you think about it, you're trying to manage the relationship as the customer success person, as you're trying to make sure that your BPO customer is successful. But then the flip side, there are vendors and tools and pieces that you're trying to manage from a partnership perspective. Say, hey, we brought this solution into you. So you're managing the partner and holding them to a level of expectation, while on the other side, you're managing the customer and holding them to a level of expectation. I think the biggest shift is, uh, which is something that actually needs to be more uh, instituted in the CS world today, but the biggest shift in, in BPO, it's a lot about holding customer and partners accountable. Because there are certain things that they need to bring to the table. There are certain levels of resources and connectivity that they need to have that you need to drive and enforce and say, hey, this is the standard. This is what's needed. If you can't give me this, if you can't put these resources, devote this time to this, you can't be successful. And in the BPO world, you have to say, even though you've outsourced to me, these are things I need from you. This is the availability of people. This is the availability of time I need to make sure that I'm delivering what you need. That's usually difficult people have a view of what outsourcing is and you have to reshape it. Um, but on the same side, I think that's something that's greatly important in today's CS world is holding customers accountable. You know, showing up when you onboard a customer, when you spend time with a customer saying, hey, this is what success looks like. This is the expectations on you. These are the resources I need. This is the time I need. This is the the training that I expect you to complete. If you do these things, we can all but almost guarantee you success. If you don't do these things, you're going to have issues and have an agreement there. I think that's so important for an organization in a BPO world, but it's even more important in today's time for traditional CSM organizations because as a regular SaaS software company, you have to give your customers expectations and hold them to it and realize it's a give and take relationship. Uh, so I think that's something that I learned early in the BPO world and I've transitioned to the modern world of CS is customer accountability, expectations, and scoring. Just like you score one part of a customer from a BPO perspective, you score 
were based on. How did you do? We call them QBR in today's time, but there's a QBR, then there's a scorecard. And you do yeah. a scorecard to say, hey, this is how you scored as far as are you ready for success? Doing success ready assessments. That's something that we did from a BPO perspective that I transitioned into the new world of this is your readiness assessment. Are you ready to be successful? Are you ready to get the value that you purchased? So I think those are some things that I've learned and been able to observe and transcend it into the new organization, to the new world. Phenomenal. Right. So looking at 2022 and beyond, right, like given all your expertise, what should organizations be adopting as a strategy to grow their business using customer success? I'm not talking just renewables, right? To build yep. that stickiness and really change to a profit center and to bring more revenue, what should change in what companies are doing today and what should uh, stay? If you could share your view. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that needs to be forefront is the adoption progression. And when I say adoption progression, is it's okay, we talk about adoption, but an organization needs to define what adoption really means for them. So depending on if you have a product at, at scale that you it's a low, you know, low dollar product or it's a you know, what does that look like? Or if it's uh, a more big enterprise product, then what does that look like? And then say, so how do you manage adoption progression. So how is your adoption progressing? And, and a, a company needs to be able to say, okay, what are the touch points that show uh, a progression in, in our in our solution? And it doesn't need to be one-dimensional. I think, you know, one of the things that companies focus on now is one-dimensional adoption. And a one-dimensional adoption is more so wrapped around volume. Okay, how many users? That's, that's, that's essential. That's an important part. But we can't just be locked in on the one-dimensional adoption of users and how many users are using the product. But we have to say, okay, how many users are using the product based on the persona, as I talked about, based on the type of user? Is it a power user? Is it an HR user? Is it a technology user? What type of user is it? Also, we need to move to uh, the next phase of adoption is wrapped around what level of engagement that you have. So what's what's the level of an executive engaged? Do you have executive alignments and executive connects? So when we think about that, adoption is visibility, uh, usage, as well as advocacy. And advocacy means more so when we go to what type of success stories are you having? Are you having customers that can write a success story? Do you have success plans that fall into success stories? So if I would say next trend for customer success or stability is not the next big thing, which people say is AI. AI is important, but it's about building success plans that have enough meat that's based on connection with our champion as well as our executive sponsor or I call them driver, dreamer, doer. So you need to have connection with our doers and our drivers. Then you need to have connection with our dreamers and a success plan that attaches to each. So identify those personas. Is it a doer? Is it a driver? Is it a dreamer? And then once you identify those personas, make sure that you have alignment at every level and that you're getting success stories, you're monitoring touch points and making sure that they're progressing, not just in usage, not just in visibility, but also in advocacy. And those three layers, driver, dreamer, doer, one is about 
is truly about usage. One is truly about visibility. Another is about advocacy. So each level has different things that you want to highlight and drive to. If a company can do that, then you don't have to worry about churn as much. You don't have to worry about losing budget. You don't have to worry about losing visibility. You don't have to worry about the fact that the product uses because you touch all those areas by making sure each persona has a specific level of adoption that they're measuring. My executives, they want visibility that says, hey, how am I changing the course of our organization? So they become advocates because they can speak to how this is making money for the company. Yeah. All right. So what is your view about CCOs becoming CEOs lately? I mean, we've seen a trend of customer officers now taking on the mantle of chief executive officers. Do you think we are going to see more of this in the future? Absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're going through a proof cycle right now. So we're going through a cycle of proof that it actually works. Uh, I think it will work because CCOs have a visibility, unlike a person in finance or a person in sales. Because when you think about it, the CCO has to have empathy. And the CCO has to have visibility on what makes the organization sticky. So they have the sales piece. They have the, because it's about sticky. It's about how do I get you to stick? They have the empathy about how to make sure that I hear you. And when you hear, you can grow. So I think it's 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 it's, it's the right move. I think it will continue to grow. I think it, it's going to be the, the right path to a CEO because it gives you the, the drive to continue to expand and grow the customer organically, but it also gives you the visibility and the heart, the empathy to hear the customer, to make sure that your product's doing what it says and you're executing. So I think when you look at it, it's the path of the future. Awesome. So with that, we come to the end of the professional round, and now we start our rapid-fire round, which is more designed towards putting you on the hot seat and finding you Finding about you as a person. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. So you're off to the moon and you're likely never coming back and you're working from there forever. What three functions at work you would take along with you besides your family and Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I, I would say it would be the product team. It would be the support team. And it would be the delivery team. Those mm. would be the three. Uh, awesome. And yeah, that would be the three. I wouldn't bring the sales team because if I had a, <laughs> a, a, a good product, good support, and a good implementation, if the product is good, it'll sell. You itself. don't need sales. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I am with you on that. So, three skills that you're looking for in aspiring CS candidates. Assume that a bunch of fresh college grads came to you. Mm-hmm. None of them have any prior experience in customer success, but they want to be in your team. What would you look for? First thing I would look for is somebody that's detail-oriented, somebody that's very good with details. Uh, I would say even low-level project management. So that'll be one. I think the next thing would be somebody that had a level of courage. Uh, People say boldness, but I think, you know, having a level of boldness and courage, because that's that's essential, being able to stand and talk when, you know, the chips are against you and it's tough. Uh, I think the last thing would be somebody that has an entrepreneurial spirit, but more of an inquisitive entrepreneur. So... They're willing to try different things. They're willing to stand up and say, hey, let me raise my hand. Let me try this. I want to do this. You know, this desire to continue to go and never stop. This drive and passion and energy that's like unwilling, that's undeniable, that's unstoppable. I think if you have those three things, 
you know, you can learn the rest and you can be a good CSM because you have the sticking points. Yeah. So there is one favorite cartoon character of yours that you think represents a good customer success manager. Which one would you choose? Uh, of course, it's Superman. Okay, yeah. Superman. It's- yeah, All right. yeah I mean, if, if you consider that a cartoon character. <laughs> okay, so you're most inspired by whom, why, and what? Like who or what drives you every day to work in CS? I think I'm inspired by people as a whole. Um, and the reason I say that is people as a whole, because people are interested. You have people that have a myriad of different challenges, issues, and abilities and talents. And depending on what they're given, the environment they're putting in, and the things that are in front of them, behind them, will dictate what they do, where they go, and how they do. So I think if I look at that from a CS perspective, uh, people inspire me because people give me the drive to say, hey, every day there's a challenge because every day people face different things and they bring those things to work. They bring those things to their products. They bring those things, they'll, they'll bring those things to their solutions. Whatever it is, you see all those things. So people inspire me because they bring challenges. They bring opportunities. They bring insights. Yeah. And you know that's the driver. It's like, okay, what are we solving today? Why are we solving this today? How are we going to make this better? And then, you know, I, I keep talking about the personas. When you make map a persona, you figure out what success looks like for people at different levels, you start to see who they are because people have different drivers. And that's a challenge to say, okay, this is what success looks like for you. Why? Why do you want to be a manager? Why do you want to just be a great support person? Why do you want to grow your business? And, you know, people have different reasons for that. So as you learn that you build relationships, which we know that's the whole trusted advisor thing, but it also creates opportunity for outrageous success. Yeah. So what is that one unique skill that you bring to the table that you think is worth learning for others? I think the one unique skill I bring to the table is just drive. And, you know, and that, that sounds funny, but I think I never stop. I never stop. I never stop trying to figure out how to do more, how to be better and the CS thing, how to be better as a manager, how to be better as 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 a customer advocate. It's it's just a drive. It's like, hey, unwilling drive, like hit the gas, 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 hit the gas. How do you get more of it? How do I get more out of myself? How do I learn more? How do I be better? How do I learn from failures? How do I learn from wins? That's that's I think something that I, I would say if I give somebody else the drive to never stop. Yeah, great. So how do you handle tough situations with customer? Your strategy that has never failed even in the worst of situations that you've been able to turn around that you would recommend as a strategy for everyone to follow? Yeah, I would say the strategy that never failed is is being an active listener, is using the skill of active listening. So never jumping to a conclusion, never giving input before it's required, always hearing the customer, repeating back to what you heard the customer say, making sure that you repeat it back to them, you say it so they get it. And you you hear stuff and you get to understand people at a different level. So I would say if you actively listen, it calms the moment and it gives you an opportunity to respond in in a humidable way where you're humble, you're enthused, but you're also cautious and, 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 and conscious of what's happening. So I think, you know, active listening is the thing. When you got a troubled customer, take a minute, take a breath, listen, repeat what you heard, 
get on one page. That's the key. Yeah. All right. So what is the funniest moment that you have had with a customer? Right. I mean, CS is not always serious business, right? We have our share of fun too. Do you have a funny moment that you can share? Yeah, and uh, I think one of the most funniest moments I've had was uh, we were on a customer call, and during this time, actually, it was even before the you know the pandemic, I was working in a remote environment, been working remote for a while, and a customer thought they were on mute, and <laughs> uh, he 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 gave his kid uh, this this really detailed response that was very personal and the child was young and the child was saying some very funny things and he didn't know he wasn't on mute so when he came back <laughs> I was like hey all right guys I'm back and we we're just talking and everybody had this this look on his face he was like what's wrong <laughs> and when we explained it he was like oh my god it, 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 it was so funny because it was, it was it was sincere and it was direct but it was real and you got an insight to somebody she was like this guy's so buttoned up and he wasn't buttoned up he was just a normal <laughs> person it was funny but it was it was actually it was heartwarming and it was it was it was something that built a deeper relationship nice so what does Jarvis the brand stand for in value if you were not in a room what do you think people are talking about you right now people were talking about he's always asking for something he's always pushing for something <laughs> you know I think people would say you know he shakes the room up yeah all right. So any final parting quotes, thoughts, or you want to share your LinkedIn handle or any anything that you want to promote about yourself with our listeners, please feel free to do that. Yeah, I just think I, I would say um, customer success, <clears throat> it's new, but it's not. Uh, customer success is relationships. It's relationships and managing people. When you manage people, you manage problems. You manage opportunities, you manage challenges, you manage successes, you manage so many things. And I think, you know, I would say anybody that's going into the customer success world, that's going to a CCL opportunity or even run an organization, know people, love people, understand what they're trying to do, understand why they're trying to do it, and you'll be successful. That's my challenge. That's my word to everybody. If you want to know more about me, want to know more about things I do, you can visit JarvisJHarris.com. Or visit me on LinkedIn, but I would say go to JarvisJHarris.com. Thank you. Thank you, Jarvis. That was a wonderful podcast session, and thank you for taking the time in the middle of your workday today. And see you soon. All right, thank you. And that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. And until we see you with the next guest, take care and have a great weekend.